Those four baby goats are no longer babies. They weigh about 25 pounds apiece and are more than a handful. I go now twice a day to feed them. They've picked down all the grass on their big hill, and because we had no rain for almost three weeks, the hill turned brown. So I feed them hay and goat feed and crack corn, take them treats, and Mama and Razzie eat quickly and then dive into the bowls of the little ones if they can. So I have a process to keep them separated. I've decided to sell all four babies, but they need to be fatter before I take them to the auction. They're all still nursing from their mothers. Clifton says it will help them to gain weight. They all know me when I walk down the road or drive down on the mule and they call at me. Bam! Bam! Loud bleats. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. You haven't heard from me since my interview with Clifton Buckner a couple of weeks ago. I needed a little time to charge my batteries, to recover some of my podcast juices and my memory. I want to thank the good people of Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts, and I want to thank you for buying our soaps. You buy soap, your skin and body feel great when you use it, and the people at Anashira are happy and make it possible for me to tell my stories. Don't forget to use discount code SPRINGSALE15. That's lowercase SPRINGSALE, altogether, 1-5. It'll get you a 15% discount. Good only through June 21st. That's right, end of spring. Well, join me now as we go back to California for this week's episode of Stories from Anashira. There's a place in the mountains about 50 miles due east of Fresno, California. In the late 1800s, logging companies cut down much of the old growth forest to saw up for lumber. In 1890, several logging companies built a dam across Mill Flat Creek. This created a lake which was called Lake Sequoia. They built a flume from the lake which was at 5,341 feet elevation down into the San Joaquin Valley. Water was released which ran down the flume and carried logs down to the mills in the San Joaquin Valley. The companies allowed the Sequoia Lake Conference of the YMCA to operate camps on the lake starting in 1912. The logging operations ended and the lake and surrounding land were sold to the Y with the stipulation that if the property were to be used for any purpose except to carry out the work of the YMCA, it would revert to the heirs of the previous owners. I wasn't aware of any of this history when I first went to the lake with my dad as part of an annual conference of an organization called the Y Indian Guides. In the 1920s, an Ojibwe hunting guide in St. Louis was speaking with a guy called Harold Keltner, a St. Louis YMCA director. The Indian's name was Joe Friday. He said, The Indian father raises his son. He teaches his son to hunt, to track, 
to fish, to walk silently in the forest, to know the meaning and purpose of life and all he must know, while the white man allows his mother to raise his son. Friday and Keltner designed a program for fathers and sons based on the qualities of Native American culture and life, dignity, patience, endurance, spirituality, feeling for the earth, and concern for the family. The Y Indian Guides programs became successful all over the U.S. Tribes were formed. My dad and a number of his friends from the Methodist Church got together and formed a tribe. Each father had a son in elementary school. We called ourselves the Miwok Tribe from some Indians that lived in Yosemite Valley. It was great. We'd meet once a month, sometimes in someone's home, sometimes in a park, other places. We had one father who was the chief, chief organizer. Each of us had an Indian name. I was Little Rabbit. Why Little Rabbit? Why not Little Grizzly Bear or Little Rattlesnake or something a little fearsome? I guess as a first grader, I hadn't developed my rebellious nature. So we studied how these people had lived, how they made hunting tools with stones and branches, how they ate acorns and fish and meats. We wore headbands with a feather to our meetings. There was drumming and chanting. Once a year, we would have a giant powwow organized by our intertribal longhouse. This would be held over a three-day weekend in the fall at Lake Sequoia. We'd meet at Camp Sequoia, right on the lake. It had a big dining room, rustic cabins with bunk beds, group bathrooms with showers in the open air. Boy, it was great. We had good kids, and their fathers were like the ones you'd seen on Leave it to Beaver. Most of the fathers didn't know a whole lot about living off the land, but my dad did. He could have been an Indian. So we swam in the lake, learned how to shoot bows and arrows on the archery range, hiked around the trails. All of us enjoyed the fact that there were no girls around. At night, we'd sit around a giant campfire and sing songs. We'd beat on the drums. We'd chant some things that we thought were Indian chants. And uh, we sang camp songs. Camp songs like the round, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. You remember that one? And hey ho, nobody home. Meat nor drink nor money have I none. Yet I will be merry, bum, bum. But the best part was toward the end of the evening. It was pitch black except for the fire and all the sparks rising into the sky. It seemed you could see a million stars, a billion. And son dad would get up to tell a ghost story. Our imaginations were so active that it didn't have to be very scary and we'd all be frightened. One was the girl who stood over a grave, or Rosemary. We'd all scream at the end of the story and scoot closer to our dads. And we'd stay real close to them on the walk back to our cabins through the dark camp. What was great about these cabins were the bunk beds. A good dad would always let his son choose, top or bottom, 
which worked out pretty well because I always wanted the top bunk and my dad liked the bottom one. We laid there tucked in our sleeping bags, the boys chattering away, some of the dads talking to, and the chief would call out loudly, lights out, quiet, and the dad would shut off the lights, quiet, pitch black, silent, and then one voice sort of high-pitched, please, just one more story, and another, please, not too long but scary, silence, and then a deep voice, like from the grave. Okay, I'll tell you about Blue Baby Bonnet. A young woman had a baby, a baby boy. She couldn't afford to take care of him by herself. So she took a blue baby bonnet and put it on his head and carried him two miles from her house and just left him in the woods. Now, the man telling this story was Bob Sir. Young, his son John was the youngest boy in the tribe, a year younger than I. Bob Sir was a lot of fun, never treated us like little boys, but his voice was deep and creepy, like coming from a grave. As she began to walk home, she heard in the distance, Blue Baby Bonnet, two miles away. As she got closer to home, she heard, Blue Baby Bonnet, one mile away. The voice speaking no longer came from a bunk. It was in the middle of the room. Then it seemed to get closer. Dark. Scary. As she reaches her home, she hears, Blue Baby Bonnet, coming up your street. She sits in her living room to catch her breath. It's pitch dark. She's shaking. She hears much louder. Blue baby bonnet coming up the driveway. She runs upstairs, jumps in her bed, pulls up her sleeping bag. We all had our bags pulled over our heads by now, arms and legs inside. And here's blue baby bonnet opening your door. Creak. She jumps under the bed. Close as she can get to the wall, and hears from the floor next to her, Blue Baby. I can't tell you. It'd ruin the story for you. You may hear it sometime at camp or at a sleepover. Needless to say, when Bob Sir yells at the end of the story, we all practically jumped out of our skins, even a couple of the dads. I fell asleep. All night long, I could hear that voice in the back of my head. Blue baby bonnet. I wake up. My dad is shaking my shoulder. In a whisper, he says, Ernie, time to get up. Let's go fishing. We brought our fishing gear, of course. It was still dark. We took our poles and creels and picked our way down to the docks. Camp Sequoia had a number of aluminum canoes, very sleek. We lifted one off of the rack where they were stored grabbed two wooden paddles, and carried it down to the dock. We each put on a life jacket, climbed in carefully, and were off. Pop in the back where he could be in charge. It was quiet, still only starting to lighten. Cold. We had on jackets, 
The water was warmer than the air, and steam rose all around us. The canoe cut through the water like a knife. We knew what we were doing. I think this was my dad's favorite thing in life. Up early, before daybreak, on the lake, no one else around, and there wasn't a single human up, at least not that we could see or hear. Fishing pole in his hand, casting a lure out, you could hear it splash as it hit the water. He fished off one side, I fished off the other. It was like we had a private lake. And bam, I got one, he said quietly. Bam, something hit my lure. I got one too, Pa. Now Lake Sequoia wasn't that big, 77 acres, but the water was cold and clear, no pollution, perfect for trout. The YMCA organization had it regularly stocked with rainbow trout. You could keep them if they were nine inches long or longer, but you could catch fish as big as 14, 15, 16 inches in this lake. The limit was 10 trout per person, and we caught our limits. The camp was just stirring as we got back. We hadn't been out over an hour and a half. They had a sink near the kitchens designed for fish cleaning. We pulled out our pocket knives, very sharp, and cleaned those fish. One slice up the bottom to the gills. Pull out the guts and the gills. Scrape out the blood, rinse it. Leave the heads on, done. Pa took the fish into the kitchen. He'd already spoken with the cooks, and he put them in the walk-in fridge. We went back to our cabin grabbed clean clothes, and headed to the showers. Now, that was a concrete pad surrounded by wooden walls, shower heads sticking out from near the top of the walls. It was still cold, maybe 40 degrees. You think you could see steam rising from the lake? Huh. You should have seen the steam coming off of us in that open-air shower. Plenty of water pressure, and the water was hot. Hey, Ern, he said to me covered with lather. This is pretty luxurious, eh? Pa, this is the greatest. So we rinsed, dried off, got dressed, headed back to the cabin. Pa turned on the light and announced, Up and at them, you sleepyheads. When they ring that bell for breakfast, you better be there. If you don't want to miss something special. The camp had a big ship's bell. They rang it to signal that the food was ready. Until it was rung, no one could get into the dining hall. Come on, Ern. We got work to do. My dad had brought cooking oil and a mixture of cornmeal and bisquick, salt and pepper, and two big skillets. He got them hot on the stove there in the kitchen, dusted each fish in flour and cornmeal, and started frying them. Some of these are big enough for a father and his son. I'm frying the biggest ones first. You serve them. First come, first serve, Ernie. So I went out to our table with a big plate of steaming fish. Pa followed me out to the table. About half the people were already there. All right, Miwok tribe, he announced in a loud voice. These other Indians may be eating pancakes, but you'll be eating pancakes and fresh-caught rainbow trout. He had a big grin on his face, as did our tribe at the table. I'd walk through the dining room with a tray of trout, and I'd hear, Hey, that smells mighty good. Hey, young brave, how do we get some of those trout? 
Fathers from our table would call out to them, easiest way is to be a member of the Miwok tribe. And then everyone would all laugh. Yeah, yeah, just be born a Miwok. Pa loved it. I loved it too. And once a year for about three years, we'd go with our tribe to the annual powwow at Lake Sequoia. I was eh, in fourth grade when it ended for me. Those days of the Indian guides were to end for everybody. Soon after the turn of the last century, those American Indian-inspired names, rituals, and imagery were seen by many non-Indian guides as racist and offensive. The YMC labeled the program as culturally insensitive and ordered its abandonment. So I had my last big powwow at Lake Sequoia and thought that I'd seen my last campfire on its shore. But one day, early the following summer, my parents called me into the kitchen for our own family mini powwow. Uh-oh, that was never a good thing. Mom, Dad, and I sitting alone at the kitchen table. How do you feel, Ernie? Uh-oh, I only got asked that when something serious was coming. I'm okay. Good, good. We have a question for you. Okay. We thought you'd like to go to camp this summer. I didn't hear a question there. Uh, What kind of camp? Summer camp at Lake Sequoia. The girls too? No, just you. Are there girls in the camp? No, just boys. Well, sounded a little better. So where is this camp and how long? My dad said, it's at Lake Sequoia, at Camp Sequoia where we went for Indian guides. Are you going too, Dad? Now that was a good question. I was only eight years old. No, just you. We figured a camp for eight days. It'll be good for you to spend time outdoors with new kids. Lots of healthy, structured activities. Okay, I thought to myself. There are three phrases that set my warning lights off. New kids, healthy, and structured activities. We also thought it would be good for you to get away from us for a while. Ah, I got it. What they really wanted was to get me away from them for a while. So when do you want me to go? We signed you up for one that begins on Saturday, Pa said. This Saturday? Yes. Is that a problem? Well, that's only three days from now. I could use some time to get ready. I need to organize my stuff, get mentally prepared. I felt very stressed getting pushed out of the house like that. You don't need any organization, said Mom. I've already got you all packed up. Okay, I got it. This was not a session to get my opinion. It was to give me my sentence. So that Saturday, they drove me down to the downtown YMCA, checked me in, and I said a quick goodbye. No kisses, a quick Johnson hug from my parents. That's a pat on the back. I ignored my sisters. As I walked off, I heard my older sister Beverly say, He's gonna cry, he's gonna cry, watch him. I heard that clearly, and at that moment, I wouldn't have cried if they'd have cut off one of my fingers. I even turned around and gave a smile. See you in a week, maybe. 
I climbed up in the bus full of kids, my age, and up to four or five years older. I was scared. I'd never been away, never on my own. I sat down next to some kid about my age, some other young ones across the aisle. I saw they were really scared, trembling. This kid looked at me. I'm afraid. Oh, it'll be okay, I told him. How many hours do we travel before we get to this Lake Sequoia? Will we be there by night? It's about 50 miles away. We'll be there in a couple of hours. And it's Lake Sequoia. Do we sleep in the woods? Underground? No, we sleep in cabins and bunk beds. You'll have your own bed. I saw the kids across the aisle paying close attention, too. Wow, I was worried. My sister said I had to sleep on the ground with snakes and scorpions around. No way. She was just trying to make you afraid. She said we have to crap in the woods. No way. They have bathrooms with toilets, like school. Showers, too. Hot water. A kid from across the aisle asked, Do we have to sit on a rock to eat? Do we eat old mush? Do we have to cook it ourselves over a fire? No, you only sit on a rock if you're on a hike. They have a dining hall. You sit at a table on a bench. They have cooks. They cook the food. Is it disgusting? No, it's not too bad. Pancakes, macaroni and cheese, hamburgers, all that stuff. How do you know all this? Have you been to camp before? I noticed someone hanging over the seat in front of me, paying attention. No, but I come here every year for a big powwow with the Indian guides. I've been coming here for years. My sister said the big kids are going to beat us up. No, no one is going to beat you up. They have counselors, lots of them to protect us. So I wasn't much afraid anymore. We hadn't even got there. I had a small group of kids who thought I was an expert in this stuff. We got there, we got off the bus, took our suitcases knapsacks out of the cargo hold at the bottom and went to registration. Where's the dining hall? Where are the bathrooms? Hold on, let's find out which cabin we're in, I said. It was so different from checking in with Indian guides. Now I had to do what my father had done before. We lined up, got our cabin assignments, and found out that three of the kids and I were in the same cabin. Where is it? Most of the campers stood around confused or went to look at a map, which was posted on a big bulletin board. Follow me. I know where cabin 16 is. We marched off as if we were experts. I pointed out the dining hall, the bathrooms, showers, administration building as we walked along. You could see the lake through the trees. The water was shimmering. The docks are down there. Over there is a main campfire. We'll meet there every night. They looked where I told them to, big eyes. We got to cabin 16. I knew it. We went in to meet our counselor. He was big, seemed strong, old, but he had a warm smile. Hi guys, I'm Bill, your counselor. You're the first ones here. You get to pick out your beds. That single bed near the door is off limits. It's mine. Hey Ernie, what's best, top or bottom? I like the top. Nobody sticks their feet in your face while they're climbing up. You get a good view of the room, and you don't have dust and dirt fall down on top of you and your nose and stuff, I said. Okay, 
My little pals all grabbed the top bunk. So this is your first year at camp, right? You're the youngest kids. Yeah, it's our first year at camp, but Ernie's been coming here his whole life. He knows everything, said one of the kids. Bill turned to me. So why have you been coming here your whole life, Ernie? Not my whole life. My dad and I, our tribe, the Miwoks, come up here every year for the big powwow with the Indian guides. Hey, that's great. You can help me out with these kids. Sure, Counselor Bill. I will. You guys can call me Bill. So camp wasn't bad at all. Healthy food turned out to be just camp food, stuff we ate all the time. We swam in the lake. Once we passed a swimming test, we didn't have to wear a life jacket. It had a diving board. The water was pretty cold. It came from snowmelt back in the Sierra Nevadas. But if you kept moving, you hardly felt it. Once you got safety and competence tested in a canoe and a rowboat, you could check one out and take your friends out. And my dad had taught me well. I had my boat certifications quickly. We went on a hike every day, and I knew most of the trails. I told my pals, You see that camp over there across the lake? That's Camp Redwood. And those docks over there are from Camp Gaines. You don't want to go over there. Those are girls' camps. Oh, girls' camps, said someone. Yeah, stay away. You get the cooties. Ooh, the cooties. Oh, and be ready for meals. When they ring that dinner bell, you want to get in that dining room fast so you get the first pick of the food. So we went down to the big campfire after dinner. It was surrounded by logs, rows placed in semicircles to sit on. We got there early so we could sit up front. Boy, Ernie knows all the tricks, one of my campmates said. They had a program for us every night. It was pretty good. These guys had organized a few campfires in their days. They told us to camp news. We sang songs, camp songs. I knew most of them from Indian guides, and we sang them at Methodist church outings, too. I belted them out in my high, squeaky voice. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah, and so on. But my favorite was a new song. Hadn't heard it before. Something like, I've got sixpence, jolly, jolly sixpence. I've got sixpence to last me all my life. I've got tuppence to spend and tuppence to lend and tuppence to send home to my wife. Poor wife, no cares have I to grieve me. No pretty little girls to deceive me. I'm happy as a lark, believe me. As we go rolling, rolling home, rolling home, rolling home, rolling home, rolling home. By the light of the silvery moon, happy as the day when the counselor gets his pay as we go rolling, rolling home. And then the next verse is down to four pence, and poor wife doesn't get anything, and so on. I liked it. It would be pitch dark again. And once every couple of days, one of the counselors would tell us a ghost story. But none of them were as scary as those I'd heard at the campfire of the Indian guides. In the afternoons, we'd pick out different activities. I love shooting the bow and arrow. Once you'd done it enough, you could hit that target every time. Lots of crafts, working with beads and stuff like that. Every other day, Bill would have us sit down at quiet time for an hour. 
Write a letter home. Tell them you're having a great time. But you miss them too. I sat down and realized. I was having a good time. Swimming, hiking, canoeing, fishing, laughing. And no sisters around to bother me. I reflected. If I told them how much I like it, they might not send me back. No, no. I want to come back. I need to write this very carefully. So I wasn't too negative, not too positive, carefully walking the middle ground. Food was okay, not great. My cabin mates were sort of okay, not great. Our counselor was tough and strict. We couldn't get away with anything, and so on. I kept it short, like a telegram. The last night we got back to the cabin from the campfire, tired but happy, bittersweet. Most of us were sad to be going home in the morning. A couple were very happy to get back to their mamas again. Good night. Lights out. Good night. Hmm. Hey, Bill, someone called. Tell us a ghost story, please. I'm not good at stories, not ghost stories. Oh, come on, Bill. It's our last night. Nah, I'm not good at that. Any of you know a good ghost story? It was pitch dark. Silent. I said, I do. I quietly climbed out of the bed and stood in the center of the cabin. Okay, I'll tell you about Blue Baby Bonnet. When I hit the end of the story, she quietly hid under her bed and waited for the voice to stop. A few minutes later, she heard Blue Baby Bonnet. Boo! Screams all over the cabin. One boy was sobbing. The next morning after breakfast, we packed, cleaned up the cabin, took our stuff to the bus, headed home. My strategy worked pretty well. They weren't sure whether I liked it or not, but they had enjoyed having me out from under their feet for over a week, and they sent me back to Y Camp every summer for the next four years. I made beautiful beaded lanyards, embossed leather belts and wallets. I had plenty of Christmas presents. I knew every trail from Lake Sequoia to the giant sequoia trees and General Grant's Grove Village and any place within five miles. And it helped me to grow up some and get along much better on my own. Thanks for joining me in this podcast. It's been a long while since I've thought of those times at Camp Sequoia. I left there that summer before eighth grade and I didn't believe I'd ever see Lake Sequoia again. Join me in two weeks for the next story from Anashira.